My name is Randy Willis. I am the associate pastor here at Sea Life Church. And in ninth grade, I used to drop acid in theater class, fifth period. All right, hey, that's me. <laughs> Hello. Uh, everybody will have their turn after service is over, by the way. Um, like Scott said, um, we are in the middle of a series called No Perfect People Allowed. And every other week, we're showing like a four or five minute testimony video of one of our leaders and uh, our members. And the weeks in between, which is this week, we just, uh, as a staff, we kind of wanted to kind of share something embarrassing about ourselves that was not maybe the most God-honoring, perfect thing to do. And that was the one uh, out of like the 500 I gave them that they chose to me. So... You're welcome. Uh, we all have a testimony. Um, so there you go. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm Randy. Uh, our beloved pastor's out of town this week, but we're uh, finishing um, this, uh, finishing, but towards the last quarter of our series called No Perfect People Allowed, and um, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, which if you don't know, um, it's the Corinthians is... Um, based off a city in Greece named Corinth. And Paul, who's a leader of the church back in the day, 2,000 years ago, wrote them a letter. And this is the first one we have, hence it's called 1 Corinthians. And there's 16 chapters, just to kind of catch you up on where we are before we get in chapter 12 today. And the first 11 chapters, this is kind of the idea of how, how the book's outlined. The first six chapters, Paul's addressing some pretty crazy reports he's getting. He's getting reports about people doing some pretty crazy and sinful stuff, a lot of tribalism, and I'm of this person, or I'm with this person, and he's doing that. So the first six chapters, he's addressing that. Chapter 7, all the way to chapter 16, there's going to be six questions that they asked Paul that he now addresses, okay? And you'll know when it's one of the questions, because he'll, so, he'll say something like this. Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, Jay talked about this a few weeks ago in chapter 8, okay? Now concerning sex, now concerning marriage and singleness, and he hits on some of these things. Um, and so that's how you know these things. So we'll be answering the last three of those the next few weeks, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all answering uh, one question that they had, and they wanted him to talk on a certain topic, because keep this in mind, right? The Corinthians 2,000 years ago, they didn't have 2,000 years of church history like we do to learn and benefit from how things work or not. They just heard about Jesus through Paul's preaching, got radically saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and they started trying to figure out how to live together. And it was confusing. What do we do? How do we do this? So they sent Paul some questions, and now he wrote this letter called 1 Corinthians and sent it back to them and its instructions. So with that said, I know there's at least three groups of you in here, of us in here. We're breaking into three groups. Um, one group is in here saying, Randy, I am passionately in love with Jesus. Jesus gave his life for me. I give my life for him. Jesus gave everything for me. I'm willing to give my anything for him, right? Those, that's a group of you who are in here. There's other group of you here like, I don't really know where I stand on the whole Jesus pendulum of things. I'm not quite sure. I'm here to find out more. And there's a last group of you that's thinking, I know exactly where I stand on the Jesus train, and I'm not on it. I'm just here because somebody made me come and invited me, and I'm just kind of checking things out. So it, no matter where you are in that, that's great. But this book, and specifically this chapter is, is written to the first group of people. This is particularly um, applicable for those who say, I love Jesus. I love the church. I'm a part of that. How do we work it out? And that's the basis that we come to 1 Corinthians 12. So if you're not uh, loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, welcome. You get to watch and kind of hear how we talk and how we organize our thoughts. Um, but if you are a Christian in here, if you are a member of a church, especially a member of this church, your ears need to perk up because I think Paul has some really amazing things in this chapter to share with us. So with that, let's check out what 
chapter 12, 13 and 14 is going to be about. Okay, and look at chapter 12, verse 1. Here is what Paul says. Okay, he's introducing. Now concerning, there's your red flag. Okay, now concerning, another question. Now concerning spiritual gifts, my brethren, I do not want you to be, be unaware or ignorant of. Now, I put gifts there in italics and, and non-bold letters because I, I've always known chapter 12 of Corinthians, chapter 14 of Corinthians is all about spiritual gifts. And so I, I get a little nerdy sometimes with some of this stuff. And I did a lot for this past week getting ready for today and started studying a lot of the Greek manuscripts, right? It's like Paul didn't write in English. I hope we all know that. It's like when you read your Bible, as a matter of fact, Paul didn't write a whole lot of anything. He verbally dictated and somebody else wrote it down for him. He checked it and then went good for that. So when Paul said this and the guy wrote this, that word gift is not in any of the Greek manuscripts anywhere, okay? So maybe a better translation would have been not concerning spiritual matters, the, the persons who wrote our English Bible are guessing he's referring to, to gifts. And I don't think that's incorrect. I think it's incomplete because it's a bigger, all things concerning the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to become unaware. Okay? So that's, the pres that's what we're doing for the next three weeks. So today, next week, and then the last week will be chapter 14, talking about spiritual matters. And spiritual gifts is a huge theme in the middle of these two chapters, but it's not the only thing. Okay? So that's what we're going into. I think Paul gives us three Ds in chapter 12, to understand spiritual matters in the church. How does the church function? Three Ds will tell you everything you need to know, okay? So the first D that Paul is trying to teach us here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is the diversity. Diversity is in the church. Diversity is in the church. Check out verses 4, 5, and 6, and you kind of get my point. Here's what he says. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there's a variety of ministries, but in the same Lord. And there's a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all peoples. Okay, so you get the word variety there. You see what he's going through. And he's going to go through here in a little bit and explain some of these things. But he's saying, listen, I want you to understand diversity in the church, in the body of God. And if you notice here, you want to be a little nerdy. And verse 4 it ends with spirit. In verse 5, it ends with the Greek word kurios, Lord, which is true to Jesus. And in 6, the same God. You have a nice little picture of the Trinity there. So you're welcome for you Bible nerds that like that stuff. There it is, okay? So he's saying diversity. Now, diversity, what he's saying is a variety of gifts, variety of ministries, variety of effects. Think of this like Walmart versus AutoZone, okay? You go to AutoZone, you're not going for a variety of reasons. You're not going to get a variety of things there. You get something that has to do with your car, right? You go to Walmart, you get something for your car, you get some food, you get some clothes, you get some movies, you get your nails done. You can do all kinds of stuff at Walmart, right? Walmart's everything. That's what he's saying. Look, diversity is a Walmart of, of gifts, a Walmart of ministries, and a Walmart effects, okay? And so if you like nerdy words like I do, uh, I like those three yellow words there because I, I didn't want to bring my assumptions to the text. I really want to find out what was Paul talking about when he said these three words that we have in our English translation. What do you mean? So I looked them up, and I had a couple little neat things about them, I think. So first of all, the gifts, okay? This word in Greek is charisma, okay? Not in the way that we use it in English to say, you know, Scott has a lot of charisma, okay? That's not what we're going for, but it just means somebody who's gifted. Charisma is from the Greek word charis, and in ma, M-A is a, and it emphasizes the grace part. So this is a gift of grace. Grace, you didn't earn it. We just sang about it, right? So these are gifts that are given that are unearned and nobody deserves them. God just gives them like you give your children food. They don't deserve it. Here, eat, boy. You get to eat because I love you, okay? And that's how it goes. I got boys, sorry, or girl, either way. Um, but don't talk to your daughters like that, men. That's not good. Um, so charisma, gifts, so spiritual gifts. And we'll talk about all, a lot of those things here in a minute. The second word, that was really interesting. So a variety of ministries. What is this word ministries? I looked it up. I'll try to say it right. Diakonia. Diakonia is two words put together, dia and konia. Dia means through. 
okay? Like to go through something. And kunia means dust. So literally, put together, it means someone who goes through dust, okay? Who gets, kicks up dust as they go along. This is a picture of a servant, okay? A waiter, okay? Who's not worried about how they look and how dirty they're getting. They're worried about their job. I got to get here. I got a table. I got to go do that. Boom, boom. They're going. They're getting after it. Diakonia. So servant. So what, a better way of saying this way is maybe in verse 5 is there are a variety of ways to serve, there's a variety of ways to get your hands dirty in the church, okay? And God has gifted us all with a variety. You don't all have the same, okay? And then the last word here, and I really struggle with the English translators here because effects, I think, is a terrible translation of this word. It is inner, uh, excuse me, energima. Energima is the word here, and it's actually in verse 6 twice. Okay, I'll show you in a second here what the other one is. Energima, kind of what it sounds like. It's energy, okay? It's ways to spend energy, to work. It's the opposite of to be sleep. So sleep is the opposite of energima, okay? So how are we different? there's a variety of ways to spend your energy while you're awake, right? But the same God who energimas all things and all persons, okay? So you could translate it, there are a variety of ways to work, but the same God who works. It's the exact same word, not one letter is off. But for some reason, they translate it effects. I have no clue. I guess because your energy produces effects. Maybe that's what they're going for. I'm not really sure. But those are the three words, and there's a lot of them. So what are you saying? There is a Walmart of gifts that God gives to the Spirit. There's a Walmart of ways to serve and get your hands dirty in the church. And there's a Walmart of ways to spend your energy, okay? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of different ways to do that, okay? Here's what you, big takeaway you should get from this stuff. God wills diversity. He's a huge, not just fan, that sounds like he's distant, like he desires it and he demands it. When he sends his Spirit on places, it creates diversity. He doesn't want AutoZone churches, that's not what he wants. He wants, I hate saying this way, but he likes Walmart churches, okay? That's what he's going for, diversity, different church. And he even goes off, it's not on the screen, but you'll see it in, um, in verse 8. He's saying one's given a word of wisdom, one a word of knowledge, uh, according to the same spirit, one faith, one healing, one miracles, one prophecy, spirits. Chapter 12, he later at the end of it goes through and talks about God appointed some apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing. This is not, don't read 1 Corinthians 12 as an exhaustive lift of all the gifts and ways of serving that you can do in the church. And the reason why I know that, because Paul himself in other books quotes other gifts and other offices that he doesn't quote in chapter 12. That's not Paul's main point. A lot of people read chapter 12, myself included, and we get caught up in the spiritual gifts, okay, of it. And that's a good thing. And we'll talk a lot about this more in chapter 14. Okay, but Paul is saying here, I think it's something very different. And the first thing he's saying is, I crave diversity. What kind of diversity? Just all of it. The whole range of things that God can give, that's what I'm all about. And here's what he's saying. We're not all supposed to be the same. We're not to look like one another. We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same way of serving. We don't have the same way of spending our energy every day like somebody else. We're all different, and this is good. So what should be in your head as I'm talking about this, I hope, is a question that you should be asking. Okay, well, what am I gifted at? Because when people are talking, you know me, internalize it, right? What, what, am I, what are my gifts things? What are the ways that I get dirty? What are the ways that I expend my energy? How do I do that? And, and a lot of you maybe already know that and you're doing great at it. Um, let me just give you a quick little three-step program um, for free of cost that uh, I use for myself and this maybe it's helpful for other people, okay? So the first thing, if you're trying to discover what is, if there's a variety of things to do, where do I fit? Right? It's like walking to Walmart. I'm like, where's the medicine at? I don't know where I am anymore. Okay, you ask somebody and they'll tell you where to go or look at the signs, that kind of thing, right? So spiritually, how do we discern our things and the, where we are in this pendulum of gifts, okay? Three things. First one, know yourself. Know yourself. 
Know what your talents are. Know what your abilities are. What gets you excited about life, okay? What are things like, oh, I really, man, I pumped up about that. What is that, okay? Find that out. There's so many um, testings and things to help you know yourself. You have strength finders. There's Enneagrams. There's Myers-Briggs. There's love languages. There's all kinds of things online. And in the church, we have a lot of them too. Just different ways you can find out who you are. But you're trying to figure out what do I like to do, okay? I like the idea of me singing, but I'm not good at it. I won't do it. There's no interpreter for that noise, okay? I'm not doing it. But I like to talk, so hey, here I am, okay? I can talk. That's something I'm gifted at. I can do that, okay? Know yourself. Know who you are. Know what your strengths, okay? Now, most people go from step one, I'm about to give you, all the way to step three. And they skip, I think, the most important step to save you from all harm. Number two, so if you're paying attention, this will help you out in every area of life, but specifically what we're talking about too, okay? So first one, know yourself. Second one, know community. Know community. You've got to know community. This is K-N-O-W, by the way, okay? Know community. Know how to have community and what community is for, okay? It's for a lot of things, but one of the greatest things it's for is you say, hey, I think I can sing. Come on, I can sing good. And I need to have people in my life that I submit to them and I ask them and they say, sweet, Randy, you can't sing, bro. Too many people don't tell their friends they can't sing or their mamas don't tell them and they go on American Idol and the rest of the universe finds out you can't sing, bro. That's not your gift. That's not your lane. Come, come on. Yeah, you, it's not happening. You shouldn't do it. You've got to know community. Let me give you a practical example of how this works in my life. So I, before, when I was dating Eleanor, my wife, years ago, um, 14 years ago, I guess now, um, I really felt like, okay, this is going somewhere. Like, I think I want to marry this girl, okay? And I, what I did is, because if you don't know this about yourself, you will lie and deceive and fool yourself, right? When the heart wants what the heart wants, the brain sometimes gets checked out, okay? And what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to get three guys that I know know me really well. They know me better than I even know myself. They point out things. I'm like, huh, I am like that. I never thought about that. Wow. These are guys like my dad, my brother, and Pastor Chris are my three guys in Abilene. And what I did, I made a deal with the Lord, like the most strongest deal I could make. And I said, God, if any one of these three guys is not 100% on board with me marrying Eleanor, if one of them is 99%, I ain't doing it. I'll back off. I just submitted to them. They didn't know that. I just asked them, hey, what do you guys think about this? Do you think I should do this? Are you 100% on board? Are you zero? Where are you? Every one of them, 100%, 100%, 100%. Okay, it's not just me. All right? And this is such an important thing, whether you're taking a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's how you spend your money, whether it's where you live, what you serve in the church, you've got to know the value of community will save you from so much pain and hardships. One of the worst things you can ever do is have your friends around you or who are really close friends in the community say, hey, I see you're going down this path and it's not good. And you say, no, nah, no, nah, you don't know them like I know them. Dane, red flag, bad words. Don't ever, if you hear yourself saying that, you need to remember this message, please, for the love of God and yourself. Know community. Know them. Let them confirm your abilities. Let them confirm, yeah, you are good at that. You're not good at that. Sit down. Yes, you are good at that. Go do that. Okay, super important. Know yourself. Know community. And now, number three, know what is needed. What are the opportunities? Okay, I know this is a gift of mine. I'm passionate about this. I've kind of confirmed with my community that, yeah, you are good at that. Now, what is the opportunity to serve? What's the opportunity to use my gift? And if you don't know something, you want to know the best way to find an answer? You ask a question. Ask somebody. Ask myself. Ask one of the elders. Go on our app. Find something to say, hey, I want to serve. I, want to, I, got, a, I got this thing. I got this ability. I can do this. How can I help? What can I do? I want to get my hands dirty. 
I got this spiritual gift, Randy. So when we pray, I want to be able to pray for people and prophesy. Man, I've seen healings happen through my hands. Randy, can I do that? Yeah, let's, let's, let's see. And I'll test you. Okay? And if you don't have a critical person in your life, by the way, that can help you examine yourself, come talk to me. I would love to be that for you. Okay? No problem. Okay? But this is how you do it. This is how I do it. Know yourself. Know community. And know what is needed. What is needed and then get plugged in to what those things are. Let me just summarize this first D, diversity, in this way. Simply put, here's what God's, Paul is saying in chapter 12. We are not all the same, and that is by design, and it's good, okay? But we also have to figure out where you individually fit in your gifts and your ways of serving and in the ways of spending energy. Where do you fit in that pendulum trying to get to us today, okay? So put it in your head. So first of all, Paul is telling us there's diversity in the church. It's God-ordained. It's beautiful. Secondly, what Paul is doing, he's talking about the divisions in the church. So the second D is divisions. There are divisions in the church. Check out um, verse 14 here for me. So what Paul is going to do, he's going to go off on this long thing all the way from verse 12 through verse 27 on this analogy of the body in the church. Okay, here's what he says. For the body is not one member. When you see member, we don't talk like that. Say parts in your head. Okay, for the body is not one part, but many diversity, right? And if the foot says, well, I'm not a hand, so I guess I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, because I'm not an eye, well, then I'm not part of the body. Well, it's not for this reason any less part of the body. Let me put it in Randy words, what he's saying here. This person comes in the church, they see everything, and they say, well, I'm useless. I'm useless. I'm just, I'm just a foot. I, you know, I'm not even a foot. I'm a, I'm a toe. I'm, you know, I'm not even a toe. I'm the toenail. I'm the left foot toenail. That's all I am. I'm not great like these people. You know, I'm not like this. I'm just a terrible man. Eeyore, kind of, oh, poo, right? Every time I see people sing like Kayla and other people, I do that a little bit. I'm like, gosh, I'm, I'm a bum. I'm nothing. And this is what Paul's talking about. These people, they do it all the time. Okay, and this first group of people that does this, let me tell you something about these people. This is some of the worst sin you could ever do. The worst. And let me tell you why. What is this person saying? I want you to think about this. Who determines what is a good gift in the church and what is not? This person is saying, I do. Check out verse uh, I, I read it off a few of them for you here, 18, 24, and 28. Check them out. But now who? God has placed the members, the parts, each one of them in the body just as he desired, verse 24. But God has so composed or organized the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, 28. But God has appointed or set into place in the church, first apostles, prophets, and he goes on to list a bunch of them. So who set this thing up? God. So when you sit there and kick the dirt and eeyore it and say, I'm just a left foot, pinky toe, toenail, what are you functionally saying? God, I don't trust you. You're an idiot. I know better than you. I'm worthless. You don't know what you're doing, God. What are we doing? We're saying, God, I get my sense of value and worth and approval, not by the God who gave his life for me, but by how I see myself. This is the worst sin we can do as Christians. It's the worst thing is you replace your source of approval and worth and value and you put it in something as good as spiritual gifts. Are we your job? Are people's approval? Jesus said this way, how can you get the approval of God if you're seeking out the approval of man? And you think, well, I'm just useless. I can't do anything. Wah, wah. Let me tell you something. Some of you guys who see yourself this way, you are causing harm, division, and stunting the growth in the church of God. You're hurting the church 
badly, which we'll get to in a minute how far that even goes beyond that. Because here's what you do. When you pine over yourself and say you're no good, you're not these things, you're withholding a gift from the church that God meant to put in here. I love some of our older people in the church. And by older, I just mean older than me. That's all I mean. Okay? I love when I see some of these people who are 50, 60, 70, 80 years old because we have a lot of 20, 30-year-olds in our church. And older people come to our church and they'll see young people. And you know what they say? Ugh, I'm going to leave here. This is not, I don't see myself in anything here. I'm useless. And I run after them and say, no, please don't leave. We need you. Do you realize that 20 and 30-year-olds are idiots and we don't know anything? And we need your help. Please. You've raised kids and got them out of the house. I just got little babies. I don't know what to do with this thing. How do I handle this? What do I do? And what they're going to say, I don't know what to do. But you know what older people have that younger people don't? Experience. You may not know what to do, but you sure know what not to do. Right? My dad always said, you can learn from your own pain, Randy, or somebody else's. Choose the second one, please. And we need that diversity. So when you see yourself not in the church, like, oh, this doesn't look like me. I'm going to get out of here. You're withholding the gift that God has given you to the rest of us. And you leave a bunch of young kids like me orphaned and have no parents to help us raise in the Lord. And don't do that. And that's just in one, that's all, over the, all different ways, right? You just see people, and we thank God for an ethnically diverse church. I praise God for that. But I wish we had more age diversity. I wish we had more socioeconomic diversity. You know what the hardest diversity to maintain is? Personality diversity. It's so hard when you see people that just drive you nuts. Just because of who they are innately. Nothing to do with superficial stuff, but the character of who they are drives you nuts. It's super hard to want to be around them ever. I'm honest. It's hard to lay hands and pray for God's goodness because I don't like you. Right? <laughs> it's hard. But this causes division. This is a very natural way. Right? But the church is called to be a supernatural institution. And we don't treat one another like that. You can't. You can clap. Come on. That's not what we're supposed to do. So when you pine over your uselessness and think you're nothing, think about it. So a lot of people think Christianity is just no thinking, just faith. But no, use your brain. And when you say, as a Christian in here, remember, when you say that I'm useless, my, my gifts, my way of serving, my energy that I expend is useless, what you're really saying, think about this, is God, you don't know what is needed. I don't trust you. You say, well, I wouldn't think that. Yeah, that's the problem. You're not thinking. Think about what this means. That's the first group. The second group we see perfectly put here in verse 21. Check out verse 21. Here's what it says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, to the feet, I have no need of you. Can't do it. You can't, anybody, right? This is my Kenyan people down here are laughing a little bit, okay? You can't say that. You can't sit there. See, the second group of people, they don't say, I'm useless. No, they, no I'm amazing. You know what the problem is? You're useless. This is the second group of people. And again, I don't think, I hope not, that nobody actually says these words. But if you do, repent quickly. Okay? But I think for most people who are like this, it's more subtle than that. Let me give you like a, a test to kind of help yourself out. How do you spend, how does a church spend its money? How do we spend our time? That'll tell you what we think is useful or not. When you leave here in a minute and we go out into the auditorium, do you guys go to like the people who are back there in the children's church? getting no adult interaction and saying, hey, man, you rock. You're awesome. By your absence of doing that, what are that person supposed to feel like? I'm useless. You, you know what I'm saying? You get the point here? This is what we do. We treat each other like this all the time. We say, well, I'm not Scott. I'm not Jay. I'm not the one preaching. I'm the one singing. I'm not the one doing this. I'm not that important. And other people say, yeah, you're right. You're not important. Because that's, that's where the important man of God is up here in the front talking. I'm the idiot dropping acid in theater class. There ain't nothing holy and sanctified, or well, hopefully getting there, perfect about me. You get that. I'm not any better than any other person. And when you do this, remember the verses we just read. Who made each other the part of the body that they did? 
God. So this person, although they sound very different than the first group of people, right? These people sound very confident. They are exactly the same. Because what are they saying functionally? When they feel this way, when they think this way, when they get frustrated, what are they saying? God, I know that you put everything together. and You put that person in our church, but I think you made a mistake, God. I know better than you. I am the source of what's good, what is right, what is wise, what is not, not you and your spirit. I am this teacher. And here's the thing. You don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. You know what's going to happen five years, years from now. You don't have a clue. I have an idea of what I'm about to say, but you don't. What do you know? How can you possibly stand in a seat of judgment and say, that's useless? How can, and again, you probably don't say it, but why would you treat people that way? Engage your mind. Think, do I treat people that way without even thinking? Do I just go out and find all the good-looking people to talk to? Do I just go talk to all the white people, if you're white like me? Do I just go find, like, all the Jewish people like me, not the Gentiles, all you Gentiles? Do I do all, just find all the pastors and the leaders, and we just talk, and the rest of you? Like, how do you treat people? This is what's happening. I don't need you. Well, I need you when I need you, but the church and whole, you're not that big of a deal. When you treat people like this way, realize what you're doing, please. Okay? And also think about this. For those of you who have been on the receiving end of this kind of group's idiotic, idiotic grumblings, let me ask you a quick little question. Who is the I created for? Who is the left foot toenail, pinky toenail created for? If the eye doesn't see the toenail's beauty, who cares? If the heart doesn't beat to the drum of the toenail, who cares? If the ears don't hear the song of the toenail singing, who cares? I'm not the toenail. If that's me, I'm not made for those other parts of the body. I'm made for my creator who put me there. And so what you, you realize what you're doing when people say this about you and you, you feel that. You, you realize what you're saying is my approval and my worth comes from other people of higher giftings. Their approval, that's what's going to make me happy in life. That's what's going to make me feel satisfied and good in life. If the pastor would call me out and say, you're awesome. Oh, that would do it. Thank you, God, for the cross. Oh, yeah, I know you did all that stuff. But what I really need to functionally be excited about who I am is for this person to approve of me and to see me as useful. That's why I hate Thomas the Train. For you young people who watch this, he always like, I want to be, I want to be useful today. He's like, come on, shut up, Thomas. Be who God made you to be. It drives me nuts. You'll get that if you have kids someday. Okay. Here's a remedy for both of these groups, okay? Proverbs is a great remedy. He says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. That word guard is a fantastic Hebrew word, shamar. It's one of my favorite words. And what it really is, a picture of a, a shepherd who gets uh, thorns and makes a fence around his sheep to protect them. He shamars them. It's a picture of a king building walls in a castle to protect his family and his people. Shamar, guard your heart. What is your heart? Your heart is not the physical heart. It's the picture of what is the source of life for you? What is the source of, of self-worth and things for you? Guard it. Wrap it around. Put nuclear missiles aimed all on the perimeter of your heart. So if anything tries to come in that's not Jesus, you blow it up to smithereens. Guard it. And here's how we guard it. Simple diet for the body. Easy. Anybody can do this. My seven-year-old knows this. Two things in our Christian diet to guard our heart. One, remember who God is. Number two, remember who you are. Remember that God said light and all we know about the universe came into being. And if you want to study the greatness of God, just go study the universe for a while. It's ridiculous to think a dude just said light and all of this began. That's crazy. Go to the mountains. Go see the trees. Go see the sequoias in California. See this great awesomeness and think, wow, God said land, tree, boom. All that happened. Know who that God is. And that God, who also died on a cross and gave his son for you, says you're worthy and you have value. And I declare you good. You remember that. That's how you guard your heart from all these other things trying to come in. 
What does the Bible say about who I am? Okay, also remember who you are. Okay, you are a sinner. You are unworthy. You are unrighteous. And you are dead. You need God. There should be no room for pride in the church. Because there's no perfect people. There should be no sense of, I like this way better. I can tell you the truth, and the leaders will shake their heads hopefully at me a little bit and say this. And leadership, we struggle with this. We don't always do this perfectly. We meet and we talk about strategies for the church and how to disciple best and how to organize the church. And, and this is a temptation for us to say, oh, I don't care what Jay thinks. I like my way better. Jay's, ah, uh, and I can do that to him. Okay? And that's not right. And it's not good. Guard your heart and be careful as a church how we treat each other. Okay? So first of all, Paul is saying there's diversity in the church. Secondly, there's division. Watch out. Make sure there's no division in the church. And lastly, the third D, he's saying in this chapter really beautifully, I think, he's saying what is the duty of the church? What is the duty? Now, I like, I chose that word because it's a D and it fits my alliteration. But I was always a youth pastor and duty. It's like potty humor. It makes me giggle every time I say duty. Um, but also the synonym for it, if you struggle with duty, is uh, purpose, mission, task, job, meaning, purpose of why you're here. What is the church's mission? What is its duty? What is its purpose? Why was it created? Why does the church exist? And Paul hits it in chapter 12, like in multiple different spots. I think the best way he does it is in chapter um, 12, verse 27. Check this out. Here's what he says. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members are parts of it. Okay. You're in Christ's body. and Now, I love, you saw the you there, again, in italicies and not bolden. So, again, this word, when you sit down at home, anytime you read a letter that Paul wrote to a bunch of people and you see the word you, go ahead and assume, like this one right here, that it is in the second person plural you. So in Texas, we would translate this, now y'all are all Christ's body. This is not you individually. No individual person is responsible for representing Christ in this world. We are, y'all are, the church is. This is the duty of the church to present God to the world. See, here's what, here's what I think he's saying here. When the world sees us, this diverse, crazy variety, Walmart diversity of people, he sees us with no division, no division. Matter of fact, we're sacrificially serving one another. They'll see Jesus. That's how they, that's our job. Our job is to, be, is to welcome and to invite and look for and seek out diversity, but to have no divisions, to fight for unity, to never let I'm better than come in the church ever, to fight for that and then to serve one another. It says it here for the common good, for the good of all men, all these different things he's saying here. This is the duty of the church. This is our job. And by the way, this is not a new thing. This has been the duty, the task, the purpose, the mission, the job, the calling of all of God's people for all of humanity from the very beginning all the way to today. All right? You want, I'll prove it. Let's go to the Bible. We'll, start with, we'll just do the whole Bible. You ready? Genesis 1. God created human beings in his own image, both male and female in God's image. He created them. And what did he tell them? Be fruitful, reproduce this image, and spread it out all over the world. Take dominion. What is his image? His body. Not physically his body. Don't get caught up in that image. You are to represent me, mankind, to all of creation. Create, co-create with me. Take these things called seeds, put them in the ground, water it, make sure nothing bad's in it, and watch. You get to create new things. Take care of the world. Take these notes, the sounds, they're all random. Put them together, and guess what? You have a beautiful song. Create. You are to join me in my work. That is your job. Human beings, go. Do it. The next chapter, they sucked it up. They failed in chapter 3 of Genesis. They failed miserably. And they said, you know what? We don't really want to represent you anymore. We're going to take on a different client, ourselves. Adam and Eve said, we don't want to do what God wants. We don't want to represent him. We want to be the source of knowledge of good and evil. We want to be the source of life. We want to be God. And we just said, no, 
we're done with you. And that's where sin and evil and all the relationships in this world broke down and even death, which was not in the original creation, death now became a part of life. And it destroyed it. And then God said, Abraham, come to me. Leave your father, leave your mother, leave your household, leave your people. Come, follow me. And Genesis chapter 12 is the great commission. Jesus restated it, by the way. He didn't come up, he wasn't the first one. He didn't come up with it, but he didn't say it first. Jesus told Abraham, listen, does that sound familiar to Genesis 12 in the church? Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you stuff, Abraham. I'm going to give you abilities, Abraham. And here's why I, verse 3, so that, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm do all this good stuff. So that all the nations of the earth, ethnic groups is that word, nations, all the ethnic groups of the earth will be blessed through you. Your job, Abraham, is to go and reconcile and to represent me to all the people so they can know who I am and fix these issues of life. And he said the same commission to Isaac, same thing to Jacob. Joseph did a great job representing him in Egypt when everybody was dying physically, and Joseph saved him. How did you know, Joseph? My God told me, oh, he's the real God. Our God didn't tell us. Good job, Joseph. You represented God well. Good job. But Israel was slave for 400 years, the people of Israel. 400 years in Egypt, they were slaves. God says, Moses, come here, buddy. Hey, Aaron, he doesn't talk too well. You come here too. Here's the deal. I want you to go, Moses and Aaron, and represent me in Egypt. Tell them who I am. And listen very carefully what he says in Exodus. Don't represent me just to the people of Egypt or the Pharaoh, but to their gods. The plagues that happened in Egypt, read it very carefully. There were not plagues against the people, even against the Pharaoh specifically. There were plagues against their gods because these gods are not representing the truth. Moses, go show them the truth. Okay, well, what do you guys worship here in Egypt? Oh, you worship the Nile? Boom, blood. What else you got? Oh, the sun? We'll black it out. Oh, he's like frogs? Here's a lot of them. Oh, you worship cattle? Dead. Oh, you worship Pharaoh? His kid? Dead. What else you got? Moses' job was to represent God, to be his body, a physical representation of that. Moses and Aaron take people out of Egypt. And by the way, the people who left Egypt were not all Jews. Read Exodus 12. It says a mixed multitude of ethnicities left Egypt with them. Because you know what they said? Huh, we've been worshiping that sun for like 30 generations. And that dude just did that real quick and it was blotted out. Dang. This guy must be, and the river too? Man, holy shnikes. This must be the real guy. Representative Wells, they went and followed him. They go to the desert. You know what God did? Okay, guys, come on close. Come close to the mountain. Come close to the mountain. Don't touch. Just come close. Moses, it's not just your job anymore. Now, all of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, here is your job. Here is your duty. Here is your mandate. Here is your purpose for why I rescued you out of Egypt. Two things. Be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Holy, don't get too religious on it. Holy just thinks like this pen is holy. It's set apart for a certain task to Randy. Holy. That's all it means. So this says you are a nation, an ethnic group that is set apart for a specific task. What's the specific task? To be a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? They take what is of God's and give it to people. They represent God on earth. And he says, Israel, you are a whole nation of these kind of priests. Your job is now for all the nations of the world to come to Israel, to come to Jerusalem, to see my temple, to see my laws, to see the great things he says. Like, hey, every seven years we're going to forgive all debts. And everybody who has um, student loans in this building said, amen. Amen. Right? This is a beautiful law. This is an amazing law. We treat everybody fair. We have laws. If you do this, you get the penalty. We're gracious. God is kind. Come to Israel and find out the truth about the God. Represent him. And Israel for the next hundreds of years did not do so good at that. It got so bad that God eventually had to exile them out of the land, kick them out. And he kicked them out and he said, listen, you guys, read Isaiah all the way through. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the major prophets. 12 minor prophets, read all of them. You're going to find one thing common in every single one of them. 
the reason for why God did it. And here it is. I'll save you some reading. You have profaned or dirtied or misrepresented my name to the nations. All the other nations, they, they think I'm just like all the other gods. You did not do a good job, so you're out. I'm taking it away. And for 400 years, there was silence in the Bible after the exile. And then finally, God entered in himself. We call him Jesus. It's his name, Yeshua. And Jesus came, and you know what people ask Jesus? Show us the Father. Show us God. You want to know what Jesus said? Look, if you see me, you've seen him. My job at Jesus is to perfectly represent who God is. Oh, you want to know, what did Jesus do? He performed miracles. He fed people. He touched untouchable people. He ate dinner with undinnerable people. (laughs) You can say it that way. Okay, this is what Jesus did. Jesus said, I have life and death. I am in control of all this. I'm God. Follow me. And we got, and as human beings, we're so awesome. We decided it would be better to kill him. And Jesus, Jesus, after three days, we celebrate Easter, came back to life, said, no, 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 you can't kill me. I'm God. I'm representing who he is. I control all of life. I control all of death. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. I'm not pointing you to the way. I am the way. Look at me. And what did Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, after he talks to his disciples, what did he tell the church? He created the church. What did he tell the church? Go to all the nations and make disciples. You're going to get my Holy Spirit so you can be a witness, so you can testify. You are now my body. When people see you guys as the church, they should know who Jesus is. And this is the number one problem I believe the people who aren't followers of Jesus have. It's not necessarily with Jesus. It's with his people. They misrepresent his body. They're divided. They're evil. They're selfish. And we miss the same motive too. So, But this has been, you see how this is from Genesis all the way through the Bible up to today. This is the mandate of the people of God, to represent him. This is our duty. This is our task, our mission, our calling. Nothing else. You are not, if you're a Christian in here, okay, let's, I'll pick on Jay because he's right here in front of me. Jay's an architect. Jay's job, his his purpose of life, his mission in life is not to be an architect solely. His job is to be such an architect that people know Jesus because they know Jay. I'm married to the beautiful blonde girl on the back named Eleanor. My job, I am not just a husband. That's not why I'm here, just to love her and enjoy being married. My job is for my wife to say, oh, I know Jesus better because I know Randy. Same thing with my kids, same thing for you guys. Our job as a church, remember, y'all's job, not you. Y'all's job, our job as the whole church is people look at us and see and understand who Jesus is. So the question is, this has been the task of people all time. The question for us now, it's our turn. How are we going to do it? How are we going to choose to do it? Are we going to do it on our own might? Are we going to do it excellently? Are we going to do it not so good? Are we going to be consistently good at it? Are we going to do good just today because we talked about it today and then forget about it tomorrow? How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? How are we just going to go about it? And again, I, um, we're going to have our worship team come up and they're going to sing a song here in a little bit. We're going to have some people down here in the front that are going to be willing to pray for you. And what I want you to think about, if you're ever saying to yourself right now, Randy, I want to join that mission. I want to do that duty. I'm, I'm, I feel weak. I feel unequipped. I feel powerless. I, I struggle. I don't know. I want to tell you today that God sent the Holy Spirit for this purpose. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you will have power not to be weird. You're going to have power not to be awesome. You're going to have power not so that you can hold it over other people. You're going to have power so you can witness. You can be a witness on a stand and testify to who Jesus is. So how are we going to do it? I think that what Paul is saying here in chapter 12, 13, and 14, you've got to do it under the influence of the Spirit. 
You've got to do it on the influence of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be baptized in the Spirit and you've got to drink of the Spirit. Look at this verse he says in verse 13. Paul's name of the church. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized, that's on the outside of your body, completely immersed, into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink on the inside of one Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't something to be poured on you like oil, but something to be all up in you, inside, outside. The Ark of the Covenant that God told Israel to make was a box where everything was hidden, everything hidden was, was placed into. That box, he said, overlay the outside of it with gold and also overlay the inside of it with gold. Rabbis for centuries always argued, why was that? Until so somebody said, I think God wants not only our actions and the outside things, but also the inside of us to be gold laden. I don't want the Holy Spirit just on what I do, but on why I do it. My character, how I think, how I pro- everything inside of me. Are we going to be a church who A, doesn't do our duty, or we try to do it under our own power? You can't do it. I know for me, just, just to testify real quick, and me and Scott talk about this a lot of times, when I first became a Christian and said, okay, God gave everything for me, I want to give everything to him. Not a whole lot changed in my life the next years after that, honestly. I was basically the same guy. I felt kind of the same I did roughly the same kind of stuff, sometimes even worse. But I was a Christian. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, when I drank from this fountain, when I was immersed and baptized with it, everything changed. Everything changed. And anybody else who's been filled with the Spirit will tell you the exact same thing. If there's any consistency, there's a struggle, there's always this tension, but victory over addiction, approval of man, the power to be all these things, it does not come. I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think it comes until the Holy Spirit comes all up on you and all up inside of you. And so today is what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song, and I absolutely love this song. Um, I'm going to get the lyrics here so I don't butcher it. Here's what it says. Listen to the lyrics, the first part of our song we're going to sing. I have decided, I have resolved to wait upon you, Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my shield, and my reward. I wait upon you, Lord. So what we're going to do is we're just going to sing that. There's something about collectively people of God saying, God, you're the rock, you're the redeemer. And we are resolved. We have decided that we are not leaving this place until we get more of you. And whatever more you got, we want it. For me, when I was reading Psalm 119, sitting in my car my senior year of high school, and I'm reading David, and David is just going off about how passionate he is, obsessed about this Bible. I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, God, I'm like here, and David's like there. How do I get up there? How do I do that? God, if there's more of you, I want it. If there's more of you, I want it. And that was it. I didn't understand all the controversies about the Holy Spirit and giftings. I didn't, I didn't care. I wanted more God. And this morning, I don't want to get caught up on the gift, all the little bit individual gifting that Paul talks about here. There's a lot of them. They're good. There's a variety of them. Some get this, some get that, some get this. There's a lot of them. The point is, do you want more God? If so, in a minute, when we pray, I want you to come down the front and ask, hey, will you pray for me? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be baptized. I want to drink from this well. Please, God, help me. And you don't have to have us touch you and do that kind of stuff. I think you can sit there in your seat and do it. But let me say this. Your outsides kind of show what you really want. If I was to say, hey, guys, and this right here, I have a check, $10 million. First person up on the stage gets it. You dudes would be stiff-arming each other, throwing chairs. Y'all be going crazy. I would see your desire. You get what I'm saying? And I'm saying, do you want more of God? then I should see it. Don't just, meh, meh, meh. Jesus says this, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Today, let's be a church that doesn't just honor God with our lips. Let's say, God, I want more. If there's any ounce of more or gallons of more, I want it. So why don't you just pray with me and then let's get after it. Heavenly Father, I thank you. You did not leave us as orphans, but that you gave us your Holy Spirit 
to equip us, to embolden us, to empower us, to help us, God. We don't know what we're doing and we're lost children without you. Would you please come, Holy Spirit, fall on this place in a mighty, powerful way. God, you say that anybody, if a, if a son asks his dad for a piece of bread, we won't give him stone. Or if we ask for a fish, we won't give him snakes. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So God, we as your body right now are asking for your Spirit. We're asking that we wanna wait on you to drop. We wanna wait on you, God, and we're not moving from this place until you show up. We wanna pursue you. If you would mind, everybody, would you just stand up on your feet? We're gonna sing this song. We're gonna have the altar open for you. Do business with the Lord. I really beg you to spend some time thinking about the words we're singing, thinking about what do you want today?